talking about broadening supply diversity, if you think about it, the key takeaway of all that is that yes, supply diversity, the, the strict traditional sense of working with businesses that are owned, operated and controlled by those underrepresented groups is one way to achieve those positive impacts. But we can and absolutely must drive larger publicly held companies to make that positive impact themselves. They have huge, uh, huge workforces, huge spend of their own. They can absolutely empower some of these disadvantaged groups themselves in terms of minorities in leadership, women in leadership. Um, so we've actually really got to drive towards those uh, positive impacts with those large companies. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the All Inclusive podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by David Latin, Head of Global Indirect Procurement and Supplier Diversity and Equality at Logitech. We discuss the future of supplier diversity and its role in advancing DEI efforts more broadly, as well as the importance of allyship in promoting DEI. David shares his personal experiences and offers advice for individuals and organisations looking to become effective allies and create a culture of inclusion. As always, before jumping into the video, make sure to hit that subscribe button, turn on your notification bell and follow on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. That being said, let's jump in. Hi, David. Hey, Natasha, how are you? Pleasure to be with you here today. Oh, I'm so excited. Thanks so much for joining me. So why not kick things off? Tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your journey to where you are today. Sure. Well, Natasha, I'll, I'll tell you where I am today. Where I am today is I head up procurement uh, at Logitech. Logitech are a Swiss-founded consumer electronics company founded in 1981 uh, that many of your listeners will be familiar with. I'm actually based out of Ireland. That's where I am today. But I think to go back to the start, sort of a personal journey, um, I think going back to my early days, I was really, really average at school. I did not thrive in education you will not see me on any honours boards for kind of, you know, awards for this or awards for that. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that, that my mindset didn't really fit in with, with structured academia. I was always asking myself, you know, why does it have to be this way? Why do we do that? Why do we do this? Um, and that didn't fit in well with the structured academia, as you might imagine. Moving into my career, started in finance. Uh, then I had a brief in consulting, and, and then that more recently led me to procurement. And I think the reason I wanted to go into procurement was it was moving away from reporting control of what a business has done and more to sort of influencing what a business might do. And, and since that move, I've really thrived in procurement, really enjoyed procurement. And I think going back to my early days, the, the interesting thing is that all the things that got me into trouble in my schooling days and questioning why is it this way, why is it that way, all of those things have actually helped me thrive in my procurement career because um, that's exactly the sort of thinking need, really. And, and the common theme in the roles I've enjoyed uh, is certainly you're looking to transform functions. Uh, in my consulting days, you were going into sort of uh, to organisations or departments that were essentially, you know, on fire. Um, if anything's like that, I'm in. I mean, I'm the worst person and it's going to be the sort of status quo. Can you manage a status quo? That's not me. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of that thinking was probably there as a child, really, about finding new ways of doing things, maximising impact in your role. That's ultimately, I think, my personal passion and, and is to looking to find the big opportunities to do that. 
in procurement, I went to it, like I say, uh, to, to go to a function that's influencing what we might do or could do. Um, that's really cool. I think what I've learned over the years is that there's such a massive potential impact when you're involved in how do companies spend millions or in some cases billions of dollars, you can make a huge impact to really big social challenges in the world. I didn't realize when I first joined procurement that that's some of the really cool stuff you could do. But it's why I'm still in procurement today, really, that, that, that you are influencing what businesses could do and you're influencing it towards really important social challenges. So, you know, what could be cooler than that, really? Yeah, I know. And I'm so, I'm literally, I'm really excited about this conversation. And that's why I wanted to talk to you as well, is to find out a little bit more about that impact. And, and for you, so it's, I know you're very heavily and very passionate with diversity, equity, inclusion. And um, as you said, the role that you're in is something that is a role that you can create some real big, big movements towards the, the direction that we all really want to go in, which is creating these inclusive environments, making sure that people feel like they can bring their full selves to work. So for you, how do you define diversity, equity and inclusion? Uh, great question, Tessa. I think a quick answer to it, and, and I'll explain in more detail, I think a quick answer is a phrase Logitech's own head of DEI shared with me, which is that diversity is the destination, inclusion and equity are the journey about how we get there. And I think, you know, what do we mean by that? I think the ultimate goal, of course, is to have that diverse team that reflects the diverse world in which we all live. Um, if an organization can do that, it's that's the ultimate foundation for a company to be performing at its best, bringing the new ideas and the innovations. Um, but here's the thing. I mean, it's, it's essential for that diversity to be born out of an inclusive, equity-focused and sort of psychologically safe place. Uh, without that, you may have diversity in team representation, but you won't have that sort of vital foundation of a, of a psychologically safe place to work. Um, so, that, so that's kind of uh, why we have this phrase around diversity as the destination, inclusive equity or the journey to get there. And then I think the second feature of when I think about DEI that comes to me is it's absolutely about acting with authenticity, taking deliberate actions um, are really strong themes that come to me. And, and that's important for me who's from a dominant group, uh, white male privilege, um, very privileged life. If I wasn't really thinking about things, taking deliberate action and really looking to be authentic, and I'll throw another phrase your way now, Natasha, to sum up what I'm really saying is, if I wasn't doing all those things, if I'm not actively including, give, just given my background, I could probably very easily accidentally exclude. So I think it's right from that personal level, um, it's really important for all of us. And then that journey that as a group of people in an organization, a corporation, whatever it might be, that really psychologically safe, inclusive and equitable environment, that will get us to the true diversity. And you can have diversity and representation without having some of that foundation, but it's, it's not the foundation we need, of course. So I think they're, they're kind of themes that come to me when I think about uh, uh, diversity, equity and inclusion. Yeah, no, definitely. I think everything you said there totally makes a lot of sense. And actually, it's quite funny that you, you talk about with diversity and you can have diversity and not in inclusion. It, it's, it's very easy to do. Um, it's a quick win, really. But actually, it's not a win at all when you think about it quite closely, because even if you've got diverse people around you, if they don't feel like they belong there, then they're not really going to be producing the results that you that you're wanting. Um, so and, exactly, yeah. 
I, I think in, I mean, in my own procurement team, for example, you could artificially nearly get some good diverse representation in your supply base. You know, it, it, it always boils down to numbers, doesn't it? Which is a shame in a way that it comes, how many diverse suppliers do you have? How many dollars do you spend with them, et cetera? And I get that they're important metrics, but more important than that really is what's going on under the hood. I mean, what are you doing to connect with more of those suppliers? What are you doing to make it easier? It's really hard for small businesses to work with large businesses. That's kind of the equity and inclusive part of the external relationships, I guess. So, yeah, it's we have to be careful. It's not all about the numbers. It's mm. about the behaviours and structures behind that as well. So that actually kind of nicely leads on to my next question that I was going to ask you is that, so, I mean, how do you work to build those relationships with diverse suppliers? We, we think of it simply, I suppose, there are three things that we look to do. Um, firstly, is that these are kind of our overarching aims that we're looking to achieve. We look to, we look to collaborate with more diverse suppliers. So I'm saying there, I guess, we're looking to increase our number of relationships. We're looking to increase the dollars we spend with those suppliers. But you absolutely have to look at, well, how do we work with these businesses to do that in a sustainable way, like I said? Um, second sort of pillar we really drive forward is looking to grow the pipeline of, of those suppliers. Um, we have a lot of development programs to do that. We are very much strong on the idea that it's absolutely two-way. We are learning what we need to do as large as a large company from some of these diverse companies, which tend to be a bit smaller. We're learning as much from them as they are from them as they are from us. So there's that there's that grow area, and then, and then the third pillar I think is really amplifying our impact via other large companies. It's really important that. Not only do we try to make the best effort towards these causes, but we need to influence other large companies to do that too. Um, where the rubber really hits the road on that is sort of simple steps like when we're looking for new suppliers, we created guidelines around that you need to include um, diverse options when you're looking for those new suppliers. Um, we've, we've become members of advocacy groups uh, in the US and, and in other countries. Um, these are all sort of things you can do and things that we've done. We've only really been doing supplier diversity since 2020. And back in 2020, we were really nowhere. Our, our diversity was very low in our supply base. Um, but we've been very ambitious since then. We've taken authentic action since then. And really good growth. And, and I think to the second part of your question, how we've managed to do that and sort of what advice I probably share with others about lots of actions you can take but there's there's some real success factors behind that journey and i think absolutely sea level leadership buy-in is essential i think you know that's spoken about quite a bit that that you need that senior level buy-in to, to get these programs off the ground um resourcing supplier diversity properly is is equally important when we first started talking about this at logitech for example it was i was deep involved in, in, in getting it going but it would have been a percentage of my role and, and it wouldn't have worked really, frankly, whereas you need someone to really resource it. So make sure you have a really great supplier diversity professional driving that forward. Um, recent learnings of ours actually absolutely have targets, share those targets, report externally on those targets. But more than that, don't just have corporate level targets, have kind of, okay, Natasha is head of marketing. She needs a target. David is head of IT. He needs a target, et cetera, et cetera. Really have these group level targets because the risk with a corporate target is you'll get lots of alignment and nodding heads and even some action in some cases, but there won't be the urgency because they'll think, oh, 
that's a tough target for David to hit. And, and then they'll go off about their own daily job. So I think really make sure you have those targets for each group. And, and fundamentally underneath all that, and this gets to that point really around behaviors and mindsets are important, Natasha, is, is you've really got to challenge the established way of making decisions. And, and procurement people are guilty of this. I think that if I was talking to you five years ago, I probably would have said, you know what you do, Natasha, when you're looking for a supplier, you need to make sure that they're in a great place, uh, according to Gartner, Forrester, and other kind of consulting yeah. uh, that, that rate these suppliers. Make sure they're doing that. Make sure they can service your account globally. Get some good references from other large companies that are using them. That's all great if you're looking to manage risk in your procurement process, and you'll probably get an okay supplier. It's kind of this mentality that goes, that there's a sort of old cliche about no one gets fired for hiring IBM. That's all true. And doing procurement based on that kind of risk-based approach yeah. won't get you fired. But I'll tell you what else it won't do. It won't find you any diverse suppliers either because there are very few global suppliers that can handle some of these big accounts globally. So real sort of foundational sort of things like that, I think. Get your mindset in the, mindset in the right place. Get the sponsorship from the company. Resource it. And then, and then really work out the first things I was talking about were kind of things that we do, what we do. That might vary a little bit by company, but you've really got to start from the right place with those foundations and then be very deliberate about doing it because you need to be really, um, it won't happen by accident. You've got to be really deliberate about it. So that's kind of our story in a nutshell and, and, and some advice for others that are looking to do it as well. How do you see the kind of supplier diversity world? How do you see that evolving in the future and its impact towards diversity, equity, inclusion? Yeah, I love this question because it's it's something that we've thought about a lot. Like like I said, we were late to this party, really. We started our journey in 2020 in a really meaningful way when we started to really manage and develop our diversity. And, and we were thinking about what exactly you're trying to achieve with supplier diversity. Um, we know what it is. It's working with as many uh, underrepresented group-owned suppliers as possible. But, you know, what are you actually trying to achieve? And... And when you think about it like that, you're thinking, well, by supporting diverse businesses, a company can, can create more opportunities for those disadvantaged communities to meaningfully grow their, their generational wealth. Um, that's one thing. And I think I, I read some recent research uh, in the US, actually, that, that, I mean, the need for that is so massive that the wealth gap between white families and minorities in the US is actually getting wider. Um, and this report suggested that the median wealth of black families in the US is expected to reduce to zero by 2053. So, I mean, that really highlights the importance of getting economic empowerment to those disadvantaged groups. So that's number one. Secondly, I think if a company's supply base, it should absolutely reflect the diversity in their own teams in, in the communities they serve. At Logitech, for example, we're a global company. Our suppliers should should reflect that global village. Um, thirdly, if a company has that di access to diverse talent in their supply base, you'll get so many new ideas, so many new perspectives, different ways of thinking about things, similar to that IBM idea that you, know, you don't have to go to these enormous consulting firms. There are some really great diverse options out there. So there, I think the real things we're really trying to deliver with this. And, and talking about broadening supply diversity, if you think about it, the key takeaway of all that is that yes, supplier diversity, the, the strict traditional sense of working with businesses that are owned, operated and controlled by those underrepresented groups 
is one way to achieve those positive impacts. But we can and absolutely must drive larger publicly held companies to make that positive impact themselves. They have huge, uh, huge workforces, huge spend of their own. They can absolutely empower some of these disadvantaged groups themselves in terms of minorities in leadership, women in leadership. Um, so we've actually really got to drive towards those uh, positive impacts with those large companies. Um, or in plain English, to sum that all, all that up, I think these challenges aren't for diverse suppliers to solve. They're for large businesses to solve. Yeah. And, and that absolutely includes, I'm at a large company, I'm challenging Natasha at XYZ Megacorp. That's absolutely opportunity to drive forward these, these challenges too. Uh, they employ millions of people, accrue trillions of dollars of revenue each year. And frankly, I think large companies need to get way better at challenging, challenging each other about, okay, we want to work with you, but how diverse are you? How inclusive are you? Frankly, how fair are they? Yeah. And that doesn't really happen too much today. What we do today that you're probably familiar with is this idea of tier two reporting, which is we're a big company, supplier diversity is important to us. Please tell me how much diverse spend with your suppliers you have at Megacorp XYZ. That's great, but I think we need to get a lot better at. Actually, Megacorp PLC has 50,000 employees. How fair are you? <laughs> like you've, you've yeah. got a huge footprint here. How fair are you? And and that's something that I really think we need to to do bit to be to do more at because, like I say, it's really driving forward. Why do you do this? And and that's something we're doing at Logitech. We're working with other allies that we're, we're really driving forward gender gender equality in some of our large suppliers by challenging them on, on their gender equity not not putting it into their supply base not putting it up to the diverse suppliers like i say we're actually challenging some of these large tech companies we work with other large suppliers to work with us we want to know how gender gender equal are you what plan do you have to get better at it etc that's where we've started but i think that broader idea Big companies need to get better at challenging big companies. Mm, no, definitely, 100%. And I think um, the more that we push that narrative out there and, and the more we push the message that you should be asking these questions amongst your, your, yourselves on that higher level, because look look what we have done, look how we have benefited, what are you doing? This is this is yeah. how we've done it. Like, let us share our strategy with you. Let us, let us assist you because we're all going to be better off for it. Um, so I, I totally 100% agree with that. Um, you yeah. touched on... And, you know, a, a practical... Sorry, Natasha, just a practical example came to my mind that just sort of to give, it a, to give a practical example of that idea, yeah. that we look to include diverse suppliers in all, of our, in all of our new supplier searches, like I said. We, we try our best at that, but we'll always hire the right supplier. We'll try our absolute best for that right supplier to be a diverse option. But if it isn't a diverse option, um, with, there's a risk that that could be the end of the journey. Whereas, you know, let's say, for example, we can't work with Natasha and David's consulting because of X, Y, Z, whatever. We need to go and work with one of the big four companies. Okay, that's fine. You know, that happens. That should not be the end of the social impact journey. We should absolutely say, okay, we need to work with you, big company. How fair are you? Like that's, yeah. that's that moment of leverage, that, that moment of social impact potential. Just because we can't do traditional supplier diversity, we really want to make sure we still drive forward that social impact. Mm. It's so important. And you'll see a world of difference when you do do that. Um, in 
in your kind of what you was talking about, you you spoke a bit and touched on allies um, and the allyship piece. So I would I would love to hear a little bit more from you on how you define allyship because you you've talked about you're sitting in a position of privilege from from your personal background you're you're a white male you you know that and so that's why you are more kind of mindful of of how you interact with others what your the decisions that you make um so for you how would you how do you define allyship and how how does it kind of impact your day-to-day personally Privilege is, a, is an important word there, isn't it, uh, Natasha? I suppose you, you could, pri- with privilege comes power. And I think my take on, on allyship is allies hold that power and the key to sort of stimulate that positive change. Um, allies can create transformative change. Um, companies need these employees with the awareness of understanding of, of how that inequity works. Um, they need their employees to know that. So their actions that they take every day can, can create uh, that workplace that works for everyone that I was talking about. And I think, I think you know, a universal aim that we'd all have, I hope, is to, is to foster an environment free from harassment, unfair uh, treatment, where everyone, where everyone is sort of free to be themselves. I've, that needs everyone, I think. It goes, yeah. it goes without saying, that needs everyone. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think the power of an ally is enormous. I mean, I, I was saying that, you know, some of the, some of the, some of the, challenges and, and topics around supplier diversity it's not up to the diverse suppliers to solve you know that's similar without with allyship isn't it that's with privilege comes power um these causes need everyone and and there's huge power uh with allies particularly when they come from a dominant group um the power and importance of allies to make that difference is enormous and so from as somebody and, and whoever who and, and everyone that is listening if if you are someone that identifies as an individual that is from that isn't from a marginalized community um and that sits in in a position of privilege and as you said would would have power how what would you say is is steps that they could take to become better allies to become effective allies yeah well that's me isn't it really? yeah what, I, I what do you I'm do a, <laughs> I, I have had that. I, I, I yeah, I'm very lucky. I've, I've had every privilege really that, that there is, and and I think with that, um, there's a real imperative. I feel that that you can use that privilege. Uh, there's a power that comes with that privilege. Like I said, you can make a positive impact with it. I mean, you can be that powerful voice for equity to support those who have been historically disadvantaged. Um, when you do that, you can help foster that inclusive environment uh, in an organization. Even simple things on a day-to-day basis, like tackling everyday behaviors that, that could be exclusionary or, or discriminatory. Um, but I think the real magic um, of allyship is, you know, it's not a one-way, it's not a one-way deal. Um, being an ally, being an ally themselves, I mean, it gives that individual such a huge kind of reward in the sense that it's an opportunity to even recognize and unpack some of the advantages that their identity that their, that their identity may afford them um, which can be a really valuable development experience even in itself um, I, I, I was reading something from um, a really great book called the authority gap Marianne Seagart is the author and she spoke a lot about it's sometimes really hard to see when you have a privilege. And she equated it to being similar to swimming downstream. 
everything feels a bit easier, the current's pushing you along, but it's kind of sometimes hard to notice. Whereas when you're swimming upstream, when you're going against a privilege, you really notice it. It's really hard. So, so I think anything that can sort of unpack that idea about, yeah, do you know what? I do have an advantage for my identity. I think there's a really, there's a really important piece from that. Uh, which can help with the development and understanding of those allies because it's it's all too easy for the people that do have that privilege to not realize it otherwise so i think there's a there's a great sort of two-way two-way journey there mm. so how do you bring other allies on board do you know what i mean how do you bring your fellow privileged man or woman um to get them and to encourage them to be better allies or to be allies in in the first place yeah i think it comes from it comes from a mindset place in the first in the first in, first instance perhaps isn't it Natasha, Natasha in the sense that you know it's not a zero sum game um, by help by helping one group you're also helping every group and, and I think there's the um, that the secret of, of that inclusion and the real power of that inclusion that that help helping underrepresented groups is hugely beneficial to all of us. I think that's particularly true. Um, uh, there's some really great examples in terms of disability accessibility. That you know what, if you have to do a, if you have to do a few sort of feature changes on a product to ensure that it's that it's um, accessible for people of all sorts of different abilities, what you typically find is that people that don't have some of those challenges also equally benefit from it and think, wow, this is great and easy to use. Mm, yeah. So I actually, think that, that that's a real practical me. example. Yeah. No. No. That actually reminds me of um, it's a story actually that my um a friend of mine told me that with um with the the streets and the roads in the uk they were never they never dip down so if you're if, if anyone who yeah. visits the uk like when you get to certain parts of the road and, and when you're about to cross the, the the road will dip down so it's level to to the actual or the pavement will dip down so it's level to the road now that was yeah. adjusted and that was put into place to help people that were um, for example, uh, wheelchair users. Um, but what they found is that not only was it as assisting those that weren't um, kind of able to walk and was, was, wasn't in a wheelchair, but it actually helped people like mothers that were pushing prams, people that may well have been um, in, had some other form of, needed some other assistance where they needed the road to be level at that point. So yeah, I totally hear that that, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I've read that too. So I think, I think, yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? That the the looking to address these challenges is a win for all of us. Mm. Um, but I think on a personal level, I think there is a responsibility that that if you are from a privileged group, I think there is a responsibility to use that kind of inherent power that that you have just simply from fluke of birth, perhaps into what identity you might be. That I think there is a responsibility that you should use that privilege to to drive forward um, some of these challenges, and and in a way, it's kind of the sort of thing that hopefully you know we get passed down from our parents, but ultimately try and leave the world in a better place than when you arrived. I think you know there's that there's that moral and values case for it, which hopefully is obvious. But if it isn't, then I think the the sloping down pavement stones is a great uh, sort of practical example, isn't it? That the doing this will actually make it better for everyone. It's, it's not just for those groups. So so hopefully they're sort of two slightly different but strong messages that, that, that get through about the responsibility that you can make a difference. And if you can make a difference, you should try and make a difference. And then if you do, it will be benefit, 
beneficial to all of us. I, I'd hope they're two really powerful messages. Definitely, I think they are. And and I just want to thank you so much, David, for taking the time to speak with me. I've, I've so much enjoyed our conversation and I think you've given some really great advice and tips from not only just a supplier diverse um, perspective and, and procurement perspective, but also just in general as, as somebody that wants to, to create a better working environment for all um, and just a better world. Like you said, we want to leave the world in a better place than than what we found it and so more people more leaders like yourself we need them so thank you so much no thank you natasha real pleasure to be here um really enjoyed our chat so for anyone who is listening if they want to connect with you how can they do that uh yeah easy enough uh the, the I'm, I'm active on linkedin so you can find me on linkedin easy enough and also in my procurement work some of the work we're doing around around gender equity like i said there's a landing page for that called uh, genderfairprocurement.com uh, you can see some of the work we're doing on there as well so they're, they're the easiest two ways to get in touch oh fantastic so i will place a link down below in the description of this episode with a link to your linkedin profile as well as the um, gender pay gap um landing page that you've mentioned because i think that would be great for our listeners to learn a little bit more about the great work that you're up to and thanks again david thank you natasha real pleasure cheers